Hi, and welcome to Recovered, a podcast from the Magdalene House, a recovery community for alcoholic women. We are a 501c3 nonprofit organization based in Dallas, Texas, and known affectionately by many as Maggie's. In this series, a recovered alcoholic woman active in our community shares her experiences from her recovery journey as she works the 12 steps to achieve sobriety and sustain recovery. With your host, me, Bryn Hansen, a recovered alcoholic and the community manager here at the Magdalene House. Whether you're in recovery yourself, contemplating giving it a try, curious about sobriety, or supporting someone who is, we are so glad that you're here. Thanks for listening. All right. Happy day, listeners. I'm your host for Recovered Interviews with Alcoholic Women, Bryn Hansen. I'm a grateful recovered alcoholic. And today I am so excited because I get to talk to one of my really good friends, Christina Cruz. We actually met last year at the Maggie's Women's Group Retreat. Yeah. And we just, you know, clicked right off the bat. We won Big Book Trivia. (laughs) Flex. We get those bragging rights until November. Sweet. <laughs> until Sweet. whoever wants next. To <laughs> well, Christina Cruz, why don't you introduce yourself and tell all of us what it was like? Absolutely. Well, I'm excited to be here. Christina Cruz, Grateful Recovered Alcoholic. Uh, February 3rd of 2019 is my sobriety date, and that is a miracle. Oh, man. Where to start? You know, you know I never know which summary. <laughs> to give you know what I mean there's like a there's like a couple it's like usually you can read the the room I have to give the shortened version today so um I uh I didn't I started drinking like uh late um middle school early high school so Mm. not like the earliest but not the oldest either right in the middle um and was not a everyday drinker um but definitely from the beginning I drank to get drunk um I even you know on the weekends I was partying and I was there to get the effect produced by alcohol. I was, you know, I didn't really see a reason. Love it. Yep. Loved it. Didn't see a reason um, to consume for any other reason other than to get that effect. So um, as I continued drinking through high school, I didn't have a ton of outside consequences other than some like within the family, you know, some tension with the parents. And um, I was sneaking out a lot, getting into trouble that way. But um, as I moved into college obviously with the freedom of distance my drinking progressed as it tends to do right and the weekend drinking turned into like now Wednesday and Thursday are part of that weekend right (laughs) the weekend all of a sudden extended and um, I so I was drinking you know four nights a week or five nights a week instead of the two and then my freshman year of college I had I was sexually assaulted um, while I was in a blackout first like one of my first blackout drunks Mm -hmm. and um i you know i don't say that or share that part of my story as oh well that's you know that's when i became an alcoholic i i share it because it's not only a part of so many of our stories but it was definitely my first reason i gave myself for my drinking to escalate yes that that makes sense yep this is why i drink yep yep um anyone would drink Mm -hmm. that sort of thing so um i ended up coming back to dallas because I'd been out of state for that freshman year of college, kind of fell back in with the crowd that uh, never left town after high school. Yeah, me. <laughs> sure. And we would have. I mean, we would have been best friends. <laughs> Let's be honest. 
<laughs> um, I and I fell right into that group, and um, now it was it was an everyday thing, mm-hmm. um, and it was still in the evenings, and it was still with other people, but it was m- much more um, of a time-consuming activity, um, and you know some outside issues came into it, but drinking was still the thing that was my main focus, my main love. It was always mm-hmm. on the table, and I kind of started this uh, pattern that I think a lot of us get into of moving away from problems. So I, I got a DWI in Dallas, so I moved to San Antonio. <laughs> mm-hmm. And I and I got a DWI in San Antonio. Yeah. So I went to New York. Right. And then I like got like some PIs and public intoxications <laughs> and, and, and just we take taxis yes, there. And so I'm like burning bridges just everywhere. <laughs> like just like I feel like I just left cities that were just on fire. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and I feel like they all just breathed a sigh of relief after it was like, Oh god, she's gone. Godzilla. Yeah. Exactly. So um, the I finally ended up in Chicago, <laughs> and um, this was when my I feel like my drinking and my alcoholism had so many different phases, and this was my round-the-clock phase of drinking when I woke up to when I went to bed yep. at night. Um, I was technically enrolled in college, but saw very, very little of those classrooms, and uh, I had <laughs> another blackout because by this time I was a pretty much an exclusively blackout drinker. Um, Because that's when I knew I was done. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Finally, like at some point, my body would stop consuming it. Um, I I broke my leg in a blackout. So I was sent kind of back home to get this leg situation figured out, right? And this was the first time other, you know, I had had been enrolled in a, like, outpatient when I got my first DWI. Mm -hmm. And I had technically gone to some AA type stuff there. But it was um, very much discussion-based meetings and, you know. Uh, I didn't learn anything about the body or the mind right. or any of those sorts of things. Put the plug in the jaw. 100%. One day at a time. One day at a time. Yep. Just don't drink. <laughs> Just say no. <laughs> Thanks, Dare. Thank you so much. <laughs> um, and so I came home from Chicago with this broken leg, and my parents were like, okay, we got to do something different, right? So I went into my first inpatient. Mm-hmm. How old were you at this time? 22. Okay. 22. Um, and... It was a beautiful facility, very nice. My parents were extremely generous with where they put me. Unfortunately, it was not a 12-step based program. Um, They threw a lot of medication and talk Mm -hmm. therapy at us. And uh, those are two things that I'm proponents of in sobriety and in recovery. Once you, um, if you still have trauma and all those things that you need to deal with, but they're not the answer to my alcoholism. And um, on top of that, uh, I, I met a guy. <laughs> so in in treatment, mm. yes. So I uh, I got out of this treatment center and came back to Dallas at, to a sober living. And this sober living was twelve step based. So it was the first time I was introduced to the solution. Mm-hmm. And by this time, I'm 22, going into 23, and I was taken to primary purpose group mm-hmm. and I got a sponsor. Mm-hmm. Um, but I was hiding this relationship that I had with this guy that I had met in treatment. Was this the sober living that, that we, we have shared. in common? <laughs> this was the so sober. So you weren't even, you weren't no. allowed to talk to No, wasn't allowed to talk to him, but I totally was. And <laughs> was hiding this relationship. Um, he's like, <laughs> this is totally off. He's like living in hotels, like in Dallas, cause he's from California. Like he's like, was, I'm impressed. How long did you hide that? I'm impressed. For the whole time that I lived there. Mm-hmm. It, they didn't find out until the last, like, couple 
I would say like Lindy last month that I lived there, they found out and it all blew up. And that was when, like, I ran away <laughs> to the hotel. Because that's, then, like, another one of your solutions. Yep. Total, run, change, run, run change. That, I mean, it's in my story over and over yeah. again, right? It's like, okay, well, it's not working here for me anymore. So anyways, so I was working with a sponsor and introduced to the solution, but mm-hmm. I was hiding this relationship, right? I um, didn't have him on any of my fifth, like, fourth and fifth step paperwork hadn't shared with my sponsor that I was in a relationship, wasn't just in short, not working these steps openly, honestly, or wholeheartedly in any sense of the words. So I eventually kind of manipulated my way out of this sober living and into my own apartment. Mm. <clears throat> and um, so now I'm living with this person. My parents don't know that. And I got pregnant. Mm-hmm. So I knew that I was not solid in this sobriety thing because I hadn't even given it my all during this, you know, six to seven month period like that I was fair shot. That I was um that I was sober. And I was still scared he wasn't either. He was a recovering drug addict. We made the decision to give the child up for adoption. So that became my next thing. Mm. Right? Yep. Trump card. Yep. Trump card. <laughs> yeah. Like total Trump card. Just like this, like this will shut anyone up. Yes. Like, yes, I'm drinking this myself This is the end death. all be all. You cannot argue with me anymore. You yeah. would drink too. I'm drinking myself to death. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. So I very quickly after that um, situation started drinking on a daily basis again, he went at, back out. We're living together. I'm drunk all the time. He's high all the time. It very quickly got very abusive, verbally and mentally both ways, physically just towards me. So it was just kind of, it was just a terrible situation. But we stayed together for, I want to say, two and a half to three years after the adoption process. Um, I had talked myself into thinking this was the only person that was ever going to understand what I'd been through, not only with the adoption, but with the recovery aspect. And, yeah. you know, neither of us are in recovery, so what was I talking about? But um, that was that was my mindset. Um, and I eventually, you know, I was lucky enough to get out of that situation relatively unscathed and alive, mm-hmm. um, which, you know, there was, there was times I wasn't sure that was the direction it was going to go. And about, we're just going to, I'm just going to fast forward, like three, four years later, I am in a much better relationship in in terms that this person is sober. Mm -hmm. This person doesn't drink. I had somehow managed to get a job that was decent, right? I'm holding down a job. I had kind of mended some of the relationship with my parents. Mm -hmm. um, But at 5 p.m. every night, I was still going home and getting blackout drunk. Mm -hmm. And so I kind of, all of these reasons I had given myself for why I drank the way I did, why I lived the way that I did, were pretty far in my past in terms of um, I should probably have been able to heal from some of those things. And yet I was still very actively drinking at them. Right. So Christmas of 2018, I showed up drunk to my family's Christmas. (laughs) And uh, this is usually the time like in the room, I'm like, anybody? (laughs) Like, who else has shown up drunk? I just didn't Uh, go. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) Perfect. (laughs) Perfect. Um, So I showed up drunk. Um, I was supposed to go out of town with them that day. And they didn't know how much I had been drinking, mm-hmm. right? Um, I was a classic, oh, this is a one-time slip type person whenever I got caught. You know, that's what I told everyone. Yep. So went out of town with them 
and I'm detoxing on this trip. Should have been in a hospital. Couldn't eat, couldn't sleep, started hallucinating, which I didn't know was like an option. Yeah. (laughs) But it very much happened and was, and it was scary as freak. So when we, I, you know, I ended up not coming clean to my family on that trip, but very much they could tell something was just not right. And um, I, you know, we started looking for an outpatient when I got back, when we got back to Dallas. And I was hooked up with an outpatient in the Dallas area called Solutions that luckily both of the counselors there were extremely big proponents of 12-step programs. Mm -hmm. I was taken back to primary purpose group, ironically. Um, and I got hooked up with my, you know, my sponsor and started um, meeting her at Maggie's meetings. And the rest is kind of history. History. Yeah. For how, how many years later? Four. Four. And four. some change. Are you or someone you know struggling with the inability to stop drinking? At the Magdalene House, we believe that alcoholic women deserve a place to recover with dignity. In our two-week residential program, clients will be introduced to what alcoholism is and what alcoholism isn't, as well as be presented with a solution, all in a loving and supportive environment. All of our programs are at absolutely no cost, and because we accept no government money, we can accept women all over the world and stick to our own curriculum. If you want to stop drinking and cannot, Call 214-324-9261 for a phone screen. And so, because before that, you did you only try to get sober that one time? So, 21, when I um, got my first DWI, I had a couple months of mm. sobriety, but mostly because of um, court. Impressed. Thanks. Mine was like 18 hours. Thanks. Uh, yeah, a couple months. And then 23, I uh, when I went into the inpatient, I want to say I had six to seven months. There was one other time in the midst of that um, turbulent relationship where I went into another inpatient. Mm-hmm. And again, strung along like three months. I was never an alcoholic who could string much time together by myself. Mm-hmm. I always needed to, almost always needed to be completely removed from it. Um, and taken somewhere where I could detox. Like I was, I'm really lucky that the outpatient this time around was a strong enough like removal, wake up call, all those sorts of things. Yeah. And I, and I had to go stay with like my parents, like to be removed from the option of like they took my keys. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like I could, if I'm given the option, I'm going to drink. Right. And, and that, that, um, that it took me a really long time to realize that. That left to my own devices, and obviously this is still true today, left to my own devices, my my solution is drink. Mm-hmm. And if I'm uncomfortable, I'm going to drink. Right. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. And so, like, even in those times, those few months that you would string together, mm-hmm. were you, like, itching out of your skin or were you okay? So it's really interesting. Um, the, the one that I always point to as – where I kind of tricked myself into thinking I was okay is during that six to seven month period where I went into the sober living and mm-hmm. I was in this secret late relationship. But the way the reason I believe that I was quote unquote okay is because he had become my higher power. Yes, I had a new I had a new solution, right? I had a new thing that I was addicted to that was completely controlling every aspect of my life, and was all consuming. 
even with that situation, the moment that I was out of the sober living in my own apartment, I I drank Mm -hmm. and didn't think twice about it. Didn't think, oh, I'm throwing six months away. It was just like, oh, I have my own apartment. I'm going to go get alcohol. The natural thing to do. Exactly. Yeah. Not think about however much money was just spent on the inpatient that I went through in the sober living and, you know, what, or the problems that had occurred before either of those things took place. No, that this is the natural next step. Mm -hmm. And I truly believe it didn't cross my mind until the day I left the sober living. Like until I was like out the door of the sober living, I was like, cool, now I can drink. It it hadn't been before that, that Hmm. I thought about it. Um, and I think that was because he was, he had become that thing well, that I thought about all the time. Yeah, I was going to say, it's easy, it's easy to make anything else our higher yep. power other than absolutely our higher power. 100%. Even AA. Yes. Even AA. And I think that's something that's some, sometimes kind of glossed over is you need to be really careful, like, that you get into the work as quickly as possible so that you don't get addicted to the community. Right. Because the community is a great aspect of this recovery. I mean, obviously, look around us, right? Like where we are with the Maggies and the amazing community of women. But if you let yourself get comfortable in just the community part, you can trick yourself into thinking that that's the solution. And that might work for you for a while. For a little bit. But if you're the real deal... It, it's just a matter of time. You have to get into that work or it's, it's just, just not going to work. Yeah, like a Band-Aid that's totally. kind of – I totally get that. Yeah. I've been there. I mean, you hear it, right? Like, you know, if you can't get behind the word God, think of, like, group of drunks. Yes. And I'm so quick when – because people bring that up in meetings I'm leading. And I'm like, nope, that's not what they mean. That's not what they mean by anything can, can be a starting point for your higher power. Mm-hmm. That's why – I think it's so important that we're specific about the fact that it's not a human. Right. Not It's not a human power. And even if it's a group of humans, that's still human. That's still a human power. <laughs> what happens if that if that group of drunks breaks up? Which, yeah, or the group <laughs> dies off. Right. You know, the, the old timer you look up to. Totally. Goes back out. Absolutely. I mean, that's... I think it's great that we have AANA, all these, you know, 12-step programs... But I do think that the the book and the way that it's so clear that it was written before these groups came into existence mm-hmm. because it's able to exist without those groups. Yep. And so we have to, like, remember where, where our solution comes from. And yeah. it's not from my group. No. Well, I mean, back in the day, because they didn't really have groups when this started totally. in the 30s, right? Exactly. They would just send people the book. I know. And that's so wild. And they would <laughs> recover just by... <laughs> Reading the book yeah. and doing what it says. That's what they mean when it says no further authentication is necessary. Like, you can get sober off of just this. Now, luckily, we don't have to. Right. We're able to have this community of support. And I, so I think it's it's such a fine line of, like, I'm, I'm not saying, like, F your group. But I'm saying, <laughs> but I'm very much saying, like, the book needs to, the, the program. Like, let's remember where the program is. Yes. <laughs> Absolutely. Right. It's not just all the fellowship and yeah, social. Yeah, those, those are fun. And we need to find a legitimate replacement for some of those social things that, you know, I mean, if I think if you're not having fun in your sobriety, it is going to be really hard mm-hmm. to stay sober. So there's there's parts of the community aspect that obviously fulfill those needs. But I think what you have to start with 
is the 12 is steps. the work yeah. yeah the 12 steps themselves yes yeah, yeah. yeah. uh-huh this podcast is being released in july yes right and so when you think of july you think of july 4th independence day Yay. <laughs> but and you know what's so funny is that the state of texas threw me into jail the day before fourth of july Wait, really yeah, <laughs> I think they did it on purpose because it's like probably. a big. Probably everything was. It's probably a big a drinking holiday. Everything was a slight against you. <laughs> they did it. On <laughs> you didn't do anything on July third. They just decided to. No, it was not my fault. No, I'm just kidding. It was absolutely my fault. Anyways, July fourth, freedom. Mm-hmm. Right. I think that as a recovered alcoholic, freedom is something that we can celebrate. Absolutely. Daily. Yeah, it's crazy. Not just one month out of the year. Totally. I mean, it's something that I'm grateful for every day. Mm. You know, what does that freedom look like for you today as a recovered alcoholic? <laughs> I mean, there there's so many different aspects of my life that now touch that word, mm-hmm. right? Whereas before, none of them did. And when I looked at um, who I was as an active alcoholic, freedom is that is not a description that I would use, right? I was like very much in a prison of my own making, um, or in a prison. Yeah, <laughs> that, that too, right? I mean, not every alcoholic, but <laughs> but a lot, of, a lot, of, a lot us. of us. So the first, the first, pretty obvious one I think of is obviously freedom from the mental obsession. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that's the most major one for me because there wasn't a day, a minute, an hour that I wasn't thinking about drinking, thinking about not drinking, thinking about recovering from drinking, thinking about how I was going to get my next drink, thinking about how I was going to hide it, thinking about who I could tell, who I couldn't tell, right? All consuming. Who I told what lies, how yep. I'm not... Oh my God. Who did yeah. I call last night? Who did I text? Did uh, TJ and I get in a fight? Like, did, right? Waking up the next morning trying to ask, did we fight last night in a way that doesn't isn't, doesn't make it super obvious that I don't remember if we fought last night? Mm-hmm. There was just an, it, it's such an all consuming disease. Just like you said, there's not a day that goes by that I don't have a moment. Some days there's many moments, mm-hmm. right? But that I, there's not a day that goes by that I don't have at least one moment where I'm like, wow. I am so free. Mm-hmm. And that's such a freaking miracle. I know. My husband and I have been married for, you know, just over a year. And we've struggled with some, like, fertility stuff. Mm. Okay? That's been really freaking hard. Yeah. And would totally in the past have been such a thing that I pulled as a reason to drink over. Mm-hmm. And I think... If anything, which this this reaction to this situation is so not me, it's completely God in my life. I've reacted with a lot of gratitude to the fact that in reaction to those that situation and in reaction to any bad news we get or any news we get, I'm not my first thought is not drinking. Yeah. My second thought is not drinking. Right. My it does not cross my mind Mm-mm. until I realize that it doesn't. And then I'm like, oh, my God, I didn't think about it. That is so unbelievable. Wild. And it's, yes, wild. And I think people sometimes think we're lying. Right. (laughs) 
that that's that that's the case for us. I mean, absolutely. <laughs> I when I heard people be like, "I'm a grateful recovered alcoholic," I'm right? Like, BS. Yes. When I heard people say, "I don't think about drinking," I don't think about not drinking. I was like, "Bull." Selling me on a pyramid scheme, yeah. <laughs> but it's true. Pyramid scheme where we make no money. It's amazing. <laughs> we, we need to get it together. No, but it, uh, yeah, it's it's an absolute miracle. It makes me think of like the 10 step promises, of course. Like that's that I think to me is the epitome of freedom. When I first um, was introduced to AA at 21, and then again, a little bit at 23 before I was actually taking a primary purpose group. The only promises you see on the wall are those ninth step promises, mm-hmm. right? And not only do they not tell you that you need to actually do the ninth step in order to get to receive promises, them, <laughs> but they don't tell you that those aren't the only things that happen for you, right? You're also going, like this mental obsession is going to be removed. You are going to be restored to sanity. And that is such the perfect picture of freedom. Mm-hmm. Because that, I mean, those were the, the chains that bound me constantly. Yes. Constantly. So that's the first thing I think of. The second thing is in terms of the amends process. And as you move that oh, amends yeah. process, just being having the freedom to move through life without being scared of who you're going to run into. Yes. <laughs> and I think for, because you did, you drank in Dallas, right? Everywhere. Yes. But yes, but majority in Dallas. Okay, perfect. So <laughs> I'm always like a little bit jealous of people who have moved to D- Dallas to be a part of the recovery community. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm like, you don't have to worry about running into anybody at Target. <laughs> because that, the first like time I recovered, that is so what I was worried about. Ter- and do you know how many amends I've actually made on the spot? Because I've run into somebody. Because they come out of the woodwork. And it just reminds me of that saying that is such a cliche, but it's so incredibly true of how free do you want to be? Yes. And that all has to do with the immense process and how free do you want to be walking around this earth Mm -hmm. and do, and I always tell, and it's from personal experience, I always tell my girls who I'm sponsoring, if you would see them in a Target and you would hide, they probably go on your, your fourth step paperwork. Yeah. (laughs) Because there, there was, there were people who I didn't realize I and I owed an amends to, and I literally saw them in a Target, and I was like call, calling my sponsor in the corner, like, okay, so I saw this person, and I wanted to hide. Do do they? I did that. Does that mean I owed an amends? She was like, yeah. I like was it a Kroger? I think, and I like hid behind the apples. Yep. I'm like, no. Yep. Yep. So oh, that's so true. Those are the two I think about: is freedom from the mental obsession and freedom to literally be able to walk around the earth without worrying about who I'm running into. To live. Yeah. You know, or despite how they feel about you. Absolutely. There's amends that I don't know if I'll ever be able to make. And there's ones, I mean, obviously, like, I wasn't able to, like, I wasn't supposed to reach out to my ex, the abusive one, for obvious reasons, mm-hmm. right? If, But, again, willing to make it if I ever run into him. Don't know where he is or, mm-hmm. you know, what he's doing with his life. Um, but then there's, you know, more intense ones like my daughter who I gave up for adoption mm-hmm. would love to make that amend someday. Yeah. Don't know if I'll ever be able to. Oh, wow. Yeah. The uncertainty mm-hmm. of kind of. Can oh. only be willing. Wow. That was one. That was a hard one to come to terms with. Yeah. Right. I can totally see that. Yeah. Whew. That even just makes it's a like, deep one. It's a deep one. <laughs> I mean, all of this is deep, but that just kind of like got to like. <laughs> yeah. The back of my chest mm. and I'm like oh and the alcoholic in me and is like well of course that's why you drink yeah. <laughs> <laughs> right giving me an out but that's another 
the thing I have to, I have to like reconcile with is, and I think a lot of us can identify with this, especially towards the end of my drinking, the things I were drinking, I was drinking over were the things that were caused by my drinking. Right. I can look back and see where I got the ball rolling. Mm-mm. Oh, that's like one of my favorite parts in the book. Yeah. And it's, it, it's hard to look at. I'm just always rolling that ball, I'm- man. <laughs> <laughs> I'm gonna use that. <laughs> no, seriously though, it's like always. I can look at any situation in my life and see whether or not, like, I'm just so ingrained now at looking at, like, yes. where did I get this ball rolling? Totally. Where did, because there's no point in even looking at where you got this ball rolling. No. <laughs> I can do that too, but no, there's no point in doing it. Oh yeah, I can do I'm it. I'm an expert but... at it, but there's no point in it because. It, Exactly. Well, and I I think that goes back to another aspect, which of the freedom question is there is a certain freedom in knowing that in almost every situation in my life, I can trace it back to me. Mm -hmm. Because if I'm the problem, then I can be a part of the solution. Absolutely. If it's everyone else's fault, I'm screwed. Yeah. When I like to think that it's everyone else's fault... Well, let's look at the common denominator. Yeah, absolutely. Always me. It's always me. <laughs> it's me. I'm the problem. It's me. Hi. <laughs> I'm the problem. It's me. And it's so true. Taylor doesn't even know she wrote an anthem for alcoholics. She does not. <laughs> but she did. It's so That's good. the first thing I thought of. Yeah. So you, you shared a little bit about what life is like mm. now. You know, I know you're married yeah. y'all just celebrated one year Yay. congratulations Yay. shout out teach, teach. such teach. a sweetheart teeter-totter yes <laughs> what else like have you been able to show up for an experience in life that without getting sober i mean you probably would have missed i mean everything yeah and that sounds like such a cliche answer i think you hear people say a lot AA gave me my life back or, you know, recovery gave me my life back or whatever. I did not have a life that I wanted to go back to um, because I had been drinking and ruining things with my drinking for from such a young age, right? From like, I would say 17, 18 on, Mm -hmm. I was having consequences from my drinking and my relationships were affected from my drinking that there, that was not. I didn't know what life looked like. Right. I didn't know anything else. No. Yeah. And as scary as that as that was, I'm very grateful in the fact that I just, I mean, I feel like it just like the book says, I was I was reborn. There was it was a whole new life. It, Absolutely. It was not reminiscent in any way of my old life other than I mean, I, <laughs> other than my husband who stuck with me during the getting sober process. That was the only thing that, I mean, obviously, like, my parents and my sister, I, but the relationship's difference mm-hmm. is just huge. So I would have missed out, yes, on having my marriage. Mm-hmm. I would have missed out on the relationship I now have with my parents, which mm-hmm. I cherish so much. I would have missed out on my best friend, which is my sister. Mm-hmm. Mm. Um, and she was eight. She's eight. She was. She's eight years younger. She still is. <laughs> She didn't, she didn't close the gap. Uh, 
<laughs> and she's still with us. I don't know why I said she was. She magically <laughs> jumped yeah. a few years. So um, she she's eight years younger. So she saw the like be- the beginning of it, the middle and the end, at very important times of her life. She was middle school when I'm hmm. getting my first DWI. Right, she is. <laughs> in high school when I'm giving my baby a production, right? She's seeing these, and I can't imagine what it was like living in a house with my parents who were probably just constantly worried about Christina and what are we going to do about Christina? And is is Christina sober? Is she Mm -hmm. drinking, right? Is Christina alive? (laughs) And um, I'm so lucky that now... I've gotten to like form a relationship with her as a person and she's just the coolest person I know. Mm. And I love her so incredibly much. But um, so that's one of the major things that I got out of it, of of this entire journey. And then holding down a job. (laughs) Yeah. It's kind of major. Huge. (laughs) And then like leaving a job in sobriety. And it was the first time that somebody said, the door's always open for you to come back. And I was like, huh? <laughs> when you actually leave a job in the appropriate way. Mm-hmm. And they're sad to see you go. Mind-blowing. <laughs> I know. Oh, my gosh. I, um, yeah, so, I, so that I, um, I was able to finish my degree, which I, yep. you know, was something that I don't even, I don't think – at the point that I finished it, like I even needed to finish it for anyone other than myself, mm-hmm. right? No jobs that I had cared. It's not like it; they were requiring any sort of degree. There's you so, wanted to. I just needed to do it because I was like, Jesus, I've been working on this thing for 12 years at this point. <laughs> not 12, but it, it felt like it. And I just needed to get it done. And I was able to do that in sobriety. Mm. Um, and then finally, I think the ma- the – probably one of the most majors is being able to just carry the message and help other mm-hmm. alcoholic women get on this journey, right? Get going on that journey to freedom because I can't stay sober on my own step one experience. Mm-mm. I have to continue to see other women experience step one over and over and over again and continue to have those spiritual awakenings within myself. Yeah. Because I can't stay sober off of just one. Right. No, like the spiritual experiences, they happen over and over Mm. and over again. It's not like a one and done type thing. Exactly. And like they're amazing to experience. Oh, when they hit. When they hit and some of the best ones are ones that I didn't even realize that it had happened. Mm -hmm. And then like a month later, I'll be like, dang, that was a spiritual experience that I went through. Freaking hindsight. It's amazing. Yeah, it's Ugh. amazing. And then it's kind of like you're just seeking that next spiritual experience. Absolutely. No, I mean, you're seeking to enlarge your spiritual life. Yes. Yeah, which is just wasn't something that was never on my radar. Right. I wouldn't have ever thought <laughs> my old life, you know, how's my spiritual life doing? God, I know. That seems like a different. It was. Person. It was. Like you said, reborn. Mm-hmm. Like, that is not me. <laughs> no. Mm-mm. No. Now, let me ask you something because, and I always like to ask this because I know I came in with a lot of misconceptions mm. about recovery and alcoholics and everything. Yes. And I kind of just always had this thought like, okay, when I can stop drinking, 
Like, I can finally become the person that I envision myself in my head. Like, my life will be great. Things will be easy. Like, woohoo. Yes. Even, like, with getting sober, all those amazing things that you get to experience, was it easy? No. Just because you're sober? No. Right. Life, surprise, surprise, still happens. Mm -hmm. Right? I referenced the you know, the journey we're going on with trying to start a family like that. That's something that is still very actively sad. Mm-hmm. Right. There's part of those th- things that hurt my soul. Yeah. But I have a different solution now. Right. I have a different set of tools in my spiritual kit. Yeah. In my <laughs> right? toolbox. Yes. Like and um, so, no, it, it wasn't easy. I think my conception of what recovery was, however, or what I thought it was going to be. I, I, I wouldn't even use the word recovery to describe what I thought it was going to be. I thought it was, it was going to be just sobriety. That is going to be me being sober. I thought AA was mm. a bunch of people sitting around talking about their problems, white knuckling it, not drinking one day at a time. Yes. Drinking their coffee and smoking their cigarettes. Yep. <laughs> that's what I thought AA was. That is also. Mm-hmm. And that's why I thought, well, of course you need to go to 90 meetings in 90 days because how else are you going to stay freaking sober? Because that's at least one hour out of your day that like, you don't I have I drive to... by a gas station at least 10 times a day. <laughs> yes. How am I not going to? Yeah. I, yeah. Had, I had left, the, I had left especially the first inpatient with my trigger list and my literally they had us schedule out our day. In 30-minute increments. Like life is a trigger. So that we didn't – so we avoided our triggers and so that we were constantly busy. So if we were going to have a nap, we needed to schedule it. Right? Like that was – that's the opposite of freedom. And that's what I thought – and that's what I thought – what I thought sobriety would be. Yeah. Because, of course, I'm going to have to avoid certain places. Of course, I'm going to have to avoid certain people. Um, I could drink. Mm -hmm. (laughs) right it's just like it's just if it's if it's always a moment away from me drinking that's not a that's not a free place to to live yeah but luckily you know you you're introduced when we're introduced to this program and especially the way that places like maggie's breaks it down you do have to come to terms with the fact that you are absolutely not you are absolutely not in control of whether you drink or not yeah you are absolutely going to drink again but if you if you don't get in the way of it right if someone if something else doesn't get in the way of it if you don't start to um, move towards this source of power but there's something very freeing in the fact that it's no longer my responsibility to keep myself sober right and that's what the major difference is in recovery is i thought it was me keeping myself sober that's what i thought sobriety was yep and it's not. Um, I'm no more powerful today than I was four years at ago. At the very first day I no, walked into. Not at all. Yeah. But I luckily have this daily reprieve and this, this channel mm-hmm. to this source of power that, that keeps me sober as long as I continue to do this. Yeah. And I can tell when when I need to check in with it. Right? You can feel yeah. it. Oh, you know. You know. <laughs> you know. Come out from like. Um, like TJ will be upstairs in the evening and I'll come up. I'll be like, hey, sorry about today when I like snapped at you. You know, that wasn't about you. And is there anything, you know, I can do to make like that right? And he'll be like, are you doing your nightly? Like, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Just thought I'd check in with you. 
All right. Oh, Christina, is there anything that you, you know, that we didn't get to touch on that you want to end with? Mm. You know, I, I think the only thing I'll say, and I, I usually end, like, anytime I'm telling my story, is this is kind of what I end with, is I came into AA and this program so angry mm-hmm. at what, at a bunch of situations in my life that I had put into motion. And I had so much shame and guilt surrounding so many things in my past that I never wanted to talk about again, let alone talk about with someone that I didn't know. Mm-hmm. And now those things are exactly what I use in order to connect with the next alcoholic woman. Mm-hmm. And I talk about them usually on a weekly basis. Constantly. <laughs> yeah. And there's something so incredibly freeing mm-hmm. about taking those dark things in our past in order to help the next woman recover. Yeah. And that's what's incredibly beautiful yeah. about this program is those those are now the things that help me connect. Mm-hmm. That help this entire cycle, this entire program continue to move forward. I wouldn't have trusted my sponsor if she hadn't had some things in her past mm-hmm. that um, I related to and that I, if I couldn't see that happy, joyous, and free in contrast to what she told me her story was. And so I'm just so grateful that now I'm given the opportunity to use those things and to talk about those things in order to help the next woman. Use the negative for good. Mm. That's purpose. <laughs> okay, well, Chris, this was so fun. This was fun. <laughs> thank you so much again. Yes, so fun. I could sit here and talk to you for hours, but we have to go celebrate 36 years of the of Magdalene Maggie's. House. Woo! So, yeah, we will catch you on the next episode, and y'all have a wonderful day. This has been Recovered, interviews with alcoholic women, hosted by Bryn Hansen and brought to you by the Magdalene House. I'm Kelsey Amos, host of our Studying the Steps podcast series. We hope you enjoyed this podcast. Tune in every Wednesday for a new release from one of our four series. To learn more about the Magdalene House and the services we offer, visit magdalenehouse.org or follow us on your favorite social media channels.